Hey everybody, welcome back to Terminus, the Mountain Dew Spark of Extreme Metal Podcasts. I am the Death Metal Guy, a.k.a. Dimu Borger Benefit Show, and to clarify, not them, <laughs> not them playing one, uh, but to just help the guys out. I could, I could, I could tell. Um, <laughs> and I am the Black Metal Guy, a.k.a. 90s hardline band called Nelson Mandala. <laughs> oh, man. With the last remaining Krishna core band. Yeah, you get some Eastern mysticism, some post-colonial revolution, and some uh, no drugs, no, uh, no animal eating, and no abortion. <laughs> you can't do anything fun with those guys. <laughs> the most... <laughs> the sort of... Uh, the ultimate sort of... Um, uh, uh, like sort of, I, I a sort of ultimate radical centrist Puritanism. <laughs> it's just like, they're not left wing. They're not right wing. They just hate fun. <laughs> so, oh man! So it's. I mean, they'd be perfect for the hardcore scene of twenty twenty two. True, except for the right wing part. Yeah. <laughs> so. Well, I think uh, I think we haven't done like a news segment in a while, but I think you actually have things to share from the co-prosperity sphere. Yes, indeed. Um, so, uh, yeah, we've got um, we've been a little uh, we've we've been minimal on some of these episodes because we've got. Well, did we do a show starter last week? Okay. Uh, yeah, we did because we uh, we covered the Phenom record, my buddy. That's yeah. That's right. That's right. Uh, um, but anyway, so today. Um, we also have a show starter. Uh, we've got a submission. I'm a little backlogged on submissions, so before, or things that we've been meaning to cover at the beginning of the show, so before we get to this, I'll just say what's coming up. Um, first off, um, our boys in Sepulchral Curse have released a new EP. An EP from a band like that is kind of like an album, so we'll cover it at the start of the show, but I think I want time for both of us to listen to it, and we mm -hmm. just haven't had time yet. Um... So, uh, that's coming soon. Also, um, we got a submission about a month ago, a very nice, uh, submission email from a listener, uh, who has a band called Chasm Shroud, and we've been too crazy busy to get to that. We will get to you. Um, there's also a single out this coming week by Holy Death, um, which is a, uh, a band from L.A., kind of in the, uh, kind of in the vein of ruin i think mm, and the promo okay. the promo also referenced zibalba and stuff like that so i'm like hmm interested um chasm shroud is like straight ahead black metal um so holy death is uh if that piques your interest you can check it out this week when it comes out but other than that we'll we'll get it on the show soon and now um today we got a demo that's out on the third uh, this is Grave Chalice's demo 2022, but in Roman numerals, on uh, Mercurial Gate. Mercurial Gate is a new imprint run by uh, T.W., who does vocals and percussion here, and who is also Varg in um, Heretical Sect, or Warg, I suppose, in Heretical Sect. Um, the... Uh, and so, yeah, so this is, he, he just sent this in to us, um, and it is sort of an, I haven't given a thorough listen yet, we're just going to do the thing where we listen to one track and talk about it, but 
it's it's a black metal industrial kind of thing and the promo is honestly um kind of worth reading it's it's got some cool i was sold by the promo before i listened to it um saturated in the gloom of vampiric lore and gothic arc okay well whatever grave chalice looms confidently between black metal and industrial music okay uh um da, 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 they okay they formed the band during you know lockdown and stuff uh blah 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 um uh let's see they've got they've got three dudes one guy is like doing dedicated kind of pedal noise stuff which is cool and other than that it's the vocals percussion and we've got um another guy doing doing you know guitars and programming and stuff uh and uh members the other guy presumably the guitarist is also in infera bruo which is kind of a prog black band that early wave of arty americanized black metal they were in there really early but because it had more in common with late 90s early 2000s prog black by like enslaved or like borknagar or whatever it, they, they just didn't take off in the same way um but so the guitarist from there and um uh they they wanted to draw on uh you know scandinavian black metal and industrial so like thorns mysticum and ministry so that seems pretty cool and they've also got a lyrical concept about uh how you know technology is turning us into into vampires by prolongating life into a living death which is a nice angle so i thought well let's give it a listen this first track is descending mirror of ascension
All right, Death Metal Guy, what do you make of that? Uh, it's pretty good. It's a, it's a very grand declaration of war. It, I mean, the conceit seems to be like, what if we took the kind of electronic and industrial aspects of grand declaration of war seriously? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it also kind of reminds me of uh, a press from the UK. Uh, it's a lot a like times. a press, isn't mm-hmm. it? Uh, yeah. yeah, this is this is like less chaotic and cluttered, but definitely mm-hmm. this this isn't too far from that last EP we heard from a press that we covered last year. Yeah, yeah, a a press is um yeah more sort of a press has sort of dramatic song structures that are very kind of metal, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas this is more. Uh, this really gets there's no industrial there's no like specifically industrial rhythmic structures there except Mm -hmm. that it's like programmed but like it has the horizontal feel of industrial music right these are sort of extended uh extended grooves Mm -hmm. um but that are substantial um yeah what would so like um As far as things that struck out st- stuck out to me, you know, the beginning of the track is right. These kind of basically just you definitely get that kind of uh, that that palm muted scronk riff, which is probably yeah. Those are on Grand Declaration, right? Uh yeah. Now that that opening main riff is very down, similar. Down, down, down. Yeah, that sort of dual channel stuff that Blasphemer was doing a lot back then. Mm-hmm. And also on like I don't know the Enslaved albums that. You know, you like Rune and Issa, whatever. Yeah, that or uh, even some of the the kind of classic area, classic era Bloodos Nord stuff, also sort of proto orthodox mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. Yeah, yeah. So that's I mean, and one thing I noticed is like a riff like that. Those have become, to some degree, those are now co- they're not common exactly, but they're kind of they're a thing you would expect to hear in an, an orthodox band or something or a certain kinds of RD band, right? So when you hear it the first. I found that, you know, initially I'm like, well, this is cool, uh, but I was sort of, I wasn't necessarily struck by it as a riff, but when it comes back, there's this great sort of really well done triplet breakdown in the middle of it, where the song could just ride that kind of groove the whole time, Mm -hmm. right, and then just end, but instead it does the sort of classic Scandinavian BM thing of the switch to, you know, a a three against four thing. There's really cool melodic ideas there. And then there's some blasting that's not phoned in. And when the main riff comes... It's punctuation, but it's not phoned in. And when the main riff comes back, the main riff sounds really good. It's like, oh, cool, there's the groove. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, it actually finds its way back to that riff in a, in a pretty naturalistic way. It doesn't feel like it's forced to be a chorus or to function like one. Yeah, it doesn't feel like it's forced. And when it returns, it's like, welcome. It's like, oh, that was a good riff. I like hearing that riff again. Um, the, um, uh, you know, also, what do you make of the other electronic stuff? I I think there's cool stuff happening. It's just kind of subdued in in the production to the point where it's hard to see. It's like, is that going to be a main fixture of the music or is that more for atmospheric texture? I think that's something that'll have to be answered in future releases because I like some of the tones and stuff, but they're really backgrounded in the production. So it's like, is this... I mean, the question is, do we want it to be more prominent or do we want it as a, a textural aspect to the music? And I wonder if the rest of the EP... I mean, the thing they've done with the conceit for this band is really nice because they've given themselves a spectrum, right? You can work from stuff like this song, which is more close to a, 
mysticum type track or whatever to uh you could move closer to uh wax track stuff and you could move closer to noise right and it'd be interesting to hear if they explore that more over the course of the uh over the course of the demo you know what actually since we are just simulating the effect of just listening to shit with bros let me just randomly click through for 10 seconds and i'll tell you <laughs> Okay, Gaping Wounds of Time has some more extended kind of uh, stuff, almost a bit like the author and Punisher thing we reviewed recently at the mm, end of it. Okay. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's an interval in the middle of the song, but it's, it's significant, and there's like synth, big synth tones going on around with the noise there. So, okay, there's, there's a little more there. Um, overall, the song is very much structured like a nine-minute black metal song, I think, but... Uh, Okay, yep, and um, Hammer of Derision, they're actually doing more of a... You can hear the ministry thing more. There's, like, mechanized punk beat kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, I think there's real possibility. Uh, I'd, I'm going to listen to the whole thing for sure, and I think there's, uh, you know, a demo is about sort of, uh, you know, uh, putting your... shooting out your possibility matrix and seeing seeing what's there and there's a lot to explore here i think this is a very promising project hi this is taylor from crushing the scepter and you're listening to terminus podcast and we are back from discussing uh cicadas as noise music artists to discuss a record we've both been looking forward to for a long time this is the debut full length of apartiva raktadara and it is titled uh ayadpith maran samhita something like that um and it's out on iron bonehead who have championed this scene the kolkata inner order as well as sort of other kind of indian war metal stuff for a long time uh, so as far as the most proximate bands, it would be like Tetragramma side, right? Which is kind of, I mean, they're basically known in their own right now, right? Yeah. They're, they're, they're pretty major band. Yeah. This is sort of like Nyog style nuclear, industrial nuclear black death. Um, and, uh, and then also, you know, Kapala, which is more sort of straightforward, uh, straightforward sort of meat meat grinder war metal um this is uh a very distinct entity um this sort of um this is sort of whiplashing gyrating frenzied possessed kind of stuff and uh it it sort of it evokes sort of Thonic or nightside Hinduism, uh, and the uh, they're kind of they've already this band even though they've just put out a demo and or an, an EP and a single before this they've already attained some notoriety especially because of their video from the debut EP Agat Ishvar, uh, the video from Dismal Anahata Transmissions is some actual IRL paganism. Uh, which features just sort of shots of um, 
shots of shots of rituals who knows maybe you know maybe worshiping deities like kali right or more uh more destructive aspects of shiva and it includes things like you know people dressed as demons and uh dudes with their heads split by machetes <laughs> it rules <laughs> it's, yes it is extraordinarily metal um these guys i mean this scene has um unquestionable seriousness and integrity um and uh i think as far as a musical format this is by far the thing i enjoy most off this uh and i think we both agree i mean you you know what you said just before we started the segment uh yeah it's one of the best albums of the year yeah i mean it's it's going to be very hard to top this this is probably like top three top five and i'm going to listen to it more and it might creep up even further yeah this is really cool so as far so as far as characterizing the music it's um war metal composed entirely of death metal mm-hmm. um it's black metal only in so far as uh early morbid angel has kind of been godfathered in as a black metal band right in, in so far it has s- serious ideological charge and mystical depth to it um and yeah i think as far as the influences you would be the person to verify this but uh morbid angel has got to be by far the main influence here right yeah uh, it's it's definitely morbid angel um i i think that before we get into the influences it's really important to note that the first ep by operativa was really cool but it was a lot closer to the kind of uh war noise kolkata sound than this is this this is like almost a different band in some ways i mean the noise has been way turned way toned down it's still super aggressive and kind of battering it has that war metal energy but most of the influences that i can detect on this record are coming straight from like tampa and uh quebecois death metal um morbid angel is sort of foundational to this but i think even more proximate is stuff like uh cryptopsy uh, I hear a ton of cryptopsy in some of the intervallic choices these guys are making on guitars. And also... Mm, that would make a lot of sense. Yeah, and also a lot of stuff by Gorguts. Um, nowadays, with all the disso death bands, uh, everybody looks to Gorguts Obscura as sort of foundational to that sound. But everyone forgets that even in their initial run, there were another three albums around that. And what I think you'll hear a lot on this record is influence from uh, from Wisdom to Hate, which was the album after Obscura, where they kind of took a lot of the, uh, the really bizarre melodic ideas and the, the strange guitar techniques and kind of pushed them more back into... Uh, conventional death metal song structures. It wasn't quite as sort of diffuse and wandering as Obscura. Um, so you kind of, you take all those influences in and then you distill them down into something that's, it, it's hard to describe how this record sounds because it's very technical and very fast and very aggressive, but at the same time, like almost oddly minimal. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's like, like, how would you articulate that? It's like, there's a shit ton going on. It's really fast, but it's like, it's bone dry and stripped down in a way you don't typically hear mixed together. Yeah, it's, um, it's very focused on, well, yeah, first of all, the production is, but I mean, really what's going on here, I think, is that where a lot of people who are doing the... I mean, I like a lot of Morbid Angel-based war metal, right? Mm-hmm. But a lot of those bands are focused more on the Altars of Madness thrashy 
aspect of it mm-hmm. and on combining that with a beefier and or noisy production and more classic black metal riffing um and you often end up with something that's in some ways more musically conservative than early morbid angel yeah um, definitely you know it's it's just supposed to be manly crushing heavy metal right mm-hmm. um this is uh this seems to me the most serious blessed are the sick worship i've heard and I don't mean worship in the sense of attempting to clone it. I mean focusing on everything that makes that album sort of strange and difficult to digest and so ahead of its time, still ahead of its time, and drawing out that potential, which is something we've talked on the show about before. It's like a band like Morbid Angel is still ahead of any fucking Dizzo Death band. <laughs> right? Exactly. Um, <laughs> Um, well, well, Blessed Are the Sick is definitely a touchstone, but I'd mm-hmm. also argue that this continues in a string of bands that we've been hearing since we started the show, which is really recontextualizing later Morbid Angel, like uh, mm. Steve Tucker era stuff, because the one that I would apply this closest to would be Formula's Fatal to the Flesh, um, which uh, kind of takes the, the really strange intervals of something like Blessed Are the Sick um, removes a lot of the sort of lurching slowness and groove and makes something almost akin to Morbid Angel as a brutal death band. Oh, I gotta hear that. Oh, dude, it's I haven't heard that one. Because usually I hear, usually we associate later Morbid Angel with sort of like the slower stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, well, that's gateways. I mean, (laughs) you can kind of see, you can kind of see Morbid Angel doing like a fast album, slow album thing through a lot of their career. Um, mm-hmm. you know, Blessed being the first quote-unquote slow one, even though there's mm-hmm. stuff that's on it that's faster than anything on Alters. Um, but yeah, no, Formulas is one of their fastest albums ever. It's probably right alongside Covenant. and uh, But yeah, it's just blistering, weird technicality. It's not uh, songy in the way that a lot of other Morbid Angel albums are, but yeah, you definitely get into that, yeah. Okay, cool. So, um... Okay, that makes sense. So I got I got to hear that. Um, but the thing that really ties it to Blessed Are the Sick, I think, is also just the production, right? Yeah. That album's notable for having a extremely dry, kind of quiet production. Mm-hmm. Um, this isn't quiet, uh, and there's a little. The sounds are a little less narrow in bandwidth. There's a little more. Uh, there's a little more width and noise fry coming off the guitars and stuff. But not by much. It is aggressively dry, and it really uh, embraces exactly those parts of early '90s death metal that are supposed to make it dated. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And says so like the whole point was that this is this Morbid Angel had this deliberately austere way of producing their music, which drew your attention to uh, to form and to like geometric or architectural features of the music like you know to like line and pacing and stuff and um and this music is a lot like that there are really just two focal points here which is these sort of uh winding uh slippery tremolids and this and the drums Mm -hmm. uh and it, it, it's, it's very focused on those. Um, and even calling them trem leads is a little weird. So uh, one thing I wanted to get into for the uh, to, to move us towards the samples is uh, 
you know, if if this idea of terrible clarity in the sound is part of the alters or part of the blessed are the sick aesthetic, uh, one one aspect of that is having things. It's not just like it's not uninterrupted thrash attack, right? In the way that a lot of early black metal and some early death metal is, right? Um, yeah. Morbid Angel is all about clearly marked uh, beginnings and ends of phrases and sections. You know, this you would say those those drum fills, those mm-hmm. Sandoval fills. Yeah. Um, uh, and they take that tendency to punctuate things and carry it even further, I think, in a more sort of... Uh, th- they make it really integral to how they're doing the thing top to bottom. Um, a lot of what they're doing is just taking the most alienating or unique things about the Morbid Angel and making it more, drawing out all the radical potentials there. So um, this is, uh, so yeah, in terms of musical punctuation, let's go to the first sample. So this is uh, off the first track, Numinal Wings of Uncreation Hover Over the Excrements of Sunyata. this the uh the first uh black or death metal band to use rests um well i think i didn't even realize you wrote this in the notes um when i wrote my notes uh comparing a lot of this stuff to sort of brutal death metal riff technique yeah so one thing to flag there so that sample includes a full stop between sections of the whole band um and also that last riff seconds is a great example of how they work so they work in um the basic unit here isn't the riff or the melody it's like a run or a sequence very much Mm -hmm. like in brutal death and except maybe even more so than in a lot of brutal death the run or the sequence has multiple uh 
you know, two plus phrases in it. Mm-hmm. Um, and well, then no, that's true in Brutal Death too. I mean, uh, no, I, I get what you mean though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they've got the multiple. So th- that last riff was a really good example. There's this kind of like pause and then this answering phrase that's more blast they, they do a choppy thing uh that's kind of percussive and then an answering one and you can literally you can hear a pause between them but that's the whole phrase and they do that like four times um over the cool thing is that overall this isn't some wiggly wobbly meandering stuff the overall frameworks of the song still kind of work like death metal songs you know, you're still going to get four of this and four of that, but what you're going to get is uh, um, four of this sequence, four of that sequence. Um, and the use, I hope you could hear in that sample, the use of pauses, spaces, and like, not just like the single dramatic pause that happens once on one track on an album, right? It's a regular part of technique. It's It's within the it's between sequences and it's within sequences between individual phrases. Yeah. It's, it, it's got that sort of, um, it's deliberately broken up rhythmic mm-hmm. characteristic on guitar that you would hear from like uh, late nineties and early two thousands brutal death metal. I, I'm, I'm thinking of bands like deeds of flesh, that sort of thing. Sort of, um, the, the impulses that later turned into very like clicky, sterile, uh, like unique leader, brutal death mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but before that when they were just sort of exploring the idea of these you know hyper tight kind of compressed musical phrases being used in the place of where more traditional riffs would be yeah for sure and so speaking of the riffs themselves or the phrases the these are more like a, a lot of these would work as like bebop licks right? yeah yeah or it's interesting ver- maybe very atonal for each as licks mm-hmm. um uh, so like like a lot of the most avant brutal death we've been reviewing, there's a real convergence here in some ways with jazz and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, um, uh, you know, just these ideas of uh, phrasing sequences of phrasing, musical space, uh, these you know uh, these deliberately kind of nonsense melodies made out of these note clusters, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But they, um, well, they're really into the technique of uh, these sort of like dissonant octave leaps you know these mm-hmm. sort of uh these sort of all a lot of the riffs probably kind of like the majority of the riffs on this record are based off of some level of string skipping um you know shooting past the octave and then a half step up or down to create this really mm-hmm. bizarre dissonant interval which is something you'd hear a lot from bands like cryptopsy or uh, deranged uh, stuff like that the really speedy trem based brutal death stuff of the 90s and the early 2000s yeah, and so speaking of, like, um, sort of trem thing, it's weird to call the guitar trem because the phrases themselves are so punctuated. Uh, mm-hmm. It's not like the individual phrase has a stop in it, right? These are still pretty satisfying, propulsive, uh, you know, uh, death metal licks. But um, they, uh, instead of using an actual stop, they use rest-like techniques, so they'll hit a, they'll suddenly drop to a chug, or they'll hit a sustained scrunk chord, um, but they're not hanging on those chords or trem sawing them in the way that lazy disso black death bands do, <laughs> right? They're using that. Th- that's a kind of newer technique. Those 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 chords, as far as I know, Morbid Angel probably had things like that, but 
you know, they'll hit these kinds of like clustered, harsh, scronky chords just briefly, mm-hmm. uh, as and letting it ring just puts some space in the riff itself. Yeah. So it's it's really there's tremolo riffing happening here, but it's about as far as you can get from endless stream of con- endless stream of trem. And it is so controlled and directed. There's really impressive technique here. Yeah. And a, a lot of that does have to do with um, just like certain production choices. Like this wouldn't mm-hmm. be as effective if the, I mean, if the guitar tone was like more saturated and more distinctly extreme mm-hmm. metal in the way. The mm-hmm. fact that they've backed off of some of the gain abuse means that you really hear, uh, you know, the these stops function rhythmically like they're supposed to uh which is something i'm actually going to get into uh, on a later sample uh the the interesting relationship between rhythmic considerations between the drums and the guitars um if you play this on acoustic guitar it would still be brutal yeah yeah and it it would still kind of make sense in a Mm -hmm. way you would just think wow this jazz is really strange (laughs) why do i like this so much yeah, I would like this so much. Um, so, uh, real quick, let me uh, let me do a, a sample from the uh-huh. uh, third track, uh, "Gnostic Arousal" of Shava Lingam, um, and here we'll get a little bit more into what I perceive as that substantial cryptopsy influence, as well as some of the interesting structural conceits in the the riff writing across this whole record. Dude, that's sick. 
Oh yeah, no, that's that's phenomenal, and uh, you, you can kind of tell. So this is this is clearly designed for uh, the vinyl release because that closes out the first side of the record. It makes sense oh. that it ends there, and you flip it. Um, so some things that I want to draw attention to. One, the cryptopsy thing really sticks with me uh, because one, it's not just the intervallic choices, but kind of the way these songs are paced st- strikes me as like the uh, the most aggressive moments on like Non So Vile. I'm, I'm thinking songs like Dead and Dripping and Lich Mistress, the, the more kind of grindy ones. Uh-huh. Um, they're just kind of perpetually picking up speed and intensity the whole way through. Even if it's not necessarily speeding up, it feels like it's always sort of rising in energy and intensity. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing these guys like to do that reminds me a lot of like John Levasseur's guitar work on an older Cryptopsy is the idea of taking these sort of very brief cellular riffs really seriously. Um, you know, building a whole riff out of like a single technical flourish that just repeats over and over again, super fast. Uh, And you get kind of a a more measured version of that at the end of this song where he's just sticking on that one very strange sort of loop. It's not even really a riff. It's almost like an industrial tape loop or something for like a a fucking minute at the end of that song, Um, which is kind of what allows these guys to play around the edges of doing things a black metal band would but with completely different technique in, instead of creating a sort of like endless looping riff of you know a single trem melody you just have this sort of broken almost artificial mechanical figure that just loops in on itself endlessly um so you get that sort of like mystical quality but without any of the sort of melodic baggage from black metal yeah, I think that's a great way of putting it, and I was would certainly say that. Yeah, there, you know, the way that these songs are so broken up, but then they know exactly when to commit to a kind of hypnotic repetition, mm-hmm. is a sign of quality. Um, there were about three opportunities for a lesser band to stop playing that riff, and they took none of them. Um, <laughs> There's so many, uh, so many off ramps on that highway, and it's like, nope, we're going yes. all the way. <laughs> yes, and there was some meaningful. Um, there was some change in how they were playing it too, as they went on at least one or two moments where the inflection changed. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that's a great example. Like it cycles like a black metal riff. Um, it doesn't, that's, that brings up a broader point I wanted to make. You know, I, I've, I have much more tolerance for certain kinds of death metal disjunctive songwriting and death metal than I used to, but Mm -hmm. like, you know, I still don't want the stuff that I like best. I don't want to be sound, you know, uh, fragmented, right? Mm-hmm. And this is not fragmented at all. It's not spazzy. And that the internal groove there is a great example. It's totally punctuated. There's a pause between every phrase. Um, and they, you know, they let those chord. That's a great example of letting the scrunk chord ring to sort of space out the riff. But yeah, the pause is the pause is not the absence of the riff. The pause is part of the riff, and it cycles you into the next one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it, it's really interesting because there's a lot of like subtle mechanical features of this record that are like constantly running in the background, like certain operating principles that they rely on, like a mm-hmm. uh, time signature choice is a big one. Typically, four four riffs are 
there for those kinds of looping figures, like that one at the end of Gnostic <laughs> Arousal. Most of this album seems to be built around, based from the some of the counts that I did, around like 5-4 and uh, like 5-4 against 4-4 four, four passages. Uh-huh. Um, sort of uh, an A riff and a B riff that's not different melodically, but one is truncated. Um, and the longer version may be first or it may be second. But that's sort of an operating principle that you'll hear continuously across this record. Uh, these longer, more elaborate riffs are given these unique rhythmic spaces to operate in, and the only time they shoot back to 4-4 four, four is for these looping, almost pseudo-industrial moments like that. Yeah, the industrial sensibility is definitely here throughout. You can hear how it's related to stuff like Tetragrammaside. Um, uh, and also, I mean, you know, one wonders, uh, are some or all of these guys trained in Indian classical music also? Which uh, yeah, I'd be really curious about the kind of musical background of these guys I, in general. I think the first EP sounded a bit more folky. Do you? I, it's been a long time since I've listened to it, but I, I feel like that one sounded a bit like a, a really cool version of what one might expect Indian War Metal to sound like. Mm-hmm. Um, this doesn't sound folky in any direct way at all, but the grasp on um, the uh, really crazy range of interval choices, the grasp on those, you know, half steps and stuff, uh, the u- use, of, use of tonalities that fall you know, outside the Western major minor dichotomy, right? These things are all sort of built into death metal, certain parts of death metal, but they're also built into Indian classical music. And uh, the really sort of uh, bespoke timing on melodic phrases, right? They're like, okay, we're going to run this one for 4-4, do a few 4-4. Okay, now we're going to run, this This melody runs 5-4-4-4-5-4. Like that's kind of that seems like uh, Indian classical music kind of stuff. Um, you, you could write this whole album without any background of that, you know. Uh, but like, it would uh, it certainly um, activates that kind of tradition, whether it's deliberate or not. Yeah, definitely. I, I can see what you mean. I mean, given the sheer breadth of uh, the sheer breadth of Indian folk and classical tradition. Mm. It's entirely possible this is also extremely folky, just in a way that we're not familiar with. Yes, and even if it's not deliberate, it is arising from the ancestral Ermind. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, you could imagine a guy playing tablas under this. Um, yeah. So, uh, let's go to um, my next sample. So, since my first one was I wanted to point out all these things about timing and sequencing and whatnot... The second one, I figured, just pick the cool riff, Black Metal Guy. So, um, uh, this is Omnicidal Samshan Pyre of Calcutta, uh, and this is the shortest, most straightforward track on the record. Here's a war metal song. Here's a bunch of sick riffs.
and then back into one of the earlier riffs. Dude, death metal guy. These are thrash riffs. Yeah, I mean, you just the the structural principles are thrash. You just work the intervals around a little bit, and you get something really different. Yeah, so that's something. So when I was initially trying to define what this record was doing, I thought, oh, maybe it's like Morbid Angel without any of the heavy metal or thrashisms. But uh, it's certainly not doing the Altars of Madness thrashing war metal thing. Um, and it's certainly not. There's no heavy metal in this. This is, you know, this is not a metal. In some sense, this is not a metal record. Uh, but um, in the same way that some of the most out there black metal isn't really metal. Um, but um, but like it's really drawing on thrash. And you know, we've talked on the show before many times about how kind of in thrash metal proper is kind of a dead end but that the extreme wings of thrash are interesting. Uh, and these guys are... Uh, there's actually a ton of thrash here, and what they're focused on is the way that like the certain kinds of morbid angel riffs involve pedal point formulas. Mm-hmm. Um, but you could hear it really clearly on the last one. Um, there's like... Uh, They'll do a tremolo run. They'll drop to a root. They'll do a tremolo run. They'll drop to the same root. Then they'll crank the root higher, right? So they do. Th- these are often structured as kind of escalating pedal point sequences as the point that the notes return to changes. Um, and uh, you know, there was there was one before that over a driving thrash beat too, right? There's not a ton of that sort of Slayer style punk drumming here, but mm-hmm. there's some. And it's really co- it's a good sort of moment of release here, and that's one of the moments where they have a something that's closer to a long, winding, uh, big riff in the way that we might expect these days. Well, yeah, no, I mean, really, what you're de- that kind of formula you're describing of having these super di- dissonant intervals, but um, kind of bound together with the idea of okay, air a variation, uh, raise up a fifth, and then B variation kind of thing is is really essential to like the first four morbid angel records also um you you get past some of the sort of the the weirdest impulses from trey azictote uh in terms of no Mm -hmm. choice and you arrive at stuff that like you were saying really is rooted in thrash tradition uh it's just i mean the the distinguishing features is just the the really strange sense of harmony going on and these guys have basically built a record around that conceit you know uh oh go ahead well yeah no and the willingness to just like change root notes in the middle of a riff which makes it not sound to us like a thrash riff initially Mm -hmm. That's part of what gives Morbid Angel and this music. It's kind of, uh, I mean, this music is a little more uh, fluid in some ways than like architectural uh, kind of blessed are the sick kind of stuff. But mm-hmm. it's what gives the music such a uh, such an emphasis on line and contour, right? It is is that you have these um, this vertical mo- motion relative to a bass, and the bass is changing even within the riff. That's just, like, a lot of giving a fucks per riff Yeah, um, to do that. The, the it, it, It's really interesting the way these songs are laid out. It, it, I, I think I've said on the show a few times, um, this is a 
a record that almost rejects the notion of like tone color and timbre. Like it sounds mm-hmm. very yeah. good, but this is one of those records where I've like I've described this on the show. It's like you could read the sheet music for everything, and it's not tremendously different from listening to it. You know what I mean? the 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 emphasis here is entirely upon the content. There's like there's there there's no little additives to give flavor. This is presented going back to the beginning when we started talking about the record in the same way as 1992 death metal. This is the music we have we have demarcated lines within production to emphasize clarity and uh, clarity and regularity. And uh, it's up to you as the listener to derive the full meaning from exactly what's presented. Yes, it is also, I mean, I think probably something that might might jive with both how Morbid Angel and this band think of their music is that they're, what they're getting at is eternal form. Right. Mm-hmm. These are these are sort of melodic ideas that are supposed to stand or fall based purely on the tonal, uh, you know, purely on the tonal and rhythmic uh, uh, connections. Yeah. Right. It's w- which not, makes um, the, which makes this so much more like classical music, like real yes. classical music, than any neoclassical tech death bands. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, they're going for something that is. Um, uh, it's not. It's very clearly operating. Uh, it's kind of indifferent to the material in which it's being delivered. Yeah, it mm. it doesn't seem like this. This is an extremely heavy and aggressive record, but those are as far from being prioritized as anything. You know, it's well, vi- well, it's I, viciousness. I kinda, it's viciousness kind of comes from its flatness. That's know? what I mean. The viciousness is like the whole point is how are you generating vicious? We you know we talk about that on the show a lot, right? The viciousness should be coming from the riffing. The viciousness should be coming from the drum playing and all that, right? And not from production tricks or from uh, studio wizardry or whatever. And this is that idea, which is fundamental to good extreme metal or good music in general. I think just carried to a real, real extreme. They're like, you know, certain kinds of records have that solid underlying architecture of songwriting. And then a bunch of cool... Yeah, as you say, cool, meaty content layered over it. This is just the bones. This is just like watching bones dance. Yeah, this is this is very deliberately nihilistic in the way of early death metal, uh, as mm-hmm. far as how it's presented. Um, so, uh, one more sample from me from the final track, Nada of Creation Collapses onto Primal Bindu. Um, so... One criticism that's probably going to be leveled at this record by some people is that um, it all sounds the same and it all basically operates at the same pace and there's not really any variation. Um, Someone says that in the YouTube comments. Oh, do they? Calling <laughs> <me> names. <laughs> I didn't see that, but uh, yep. uh, in a sense, this is true. This is extremely rigorously homogenous music, but I I feel like we've established on this show that's kind of the point of extreme metal, is it for it to be? <laughs> yes. For, yes. At least for the most part. I mean, yeah, you can have records that are like ambitious and they're doing weird things and have lots of timbral variation, but for the most part, we want ninety percent of it to be sort of flatly homogenous to draw emphasis to content rather than form. Um, but I'd also argue that there's a ton of subtlety and a ton of like dynamic pacing to be found within these songs, but the, uh, the, the sort of organizational principles are reversed from what you would expect. 
uh, let's say typical death or black metal band, uh, everything is built as the, the, the structural conceit is all based around riffs. It, it, it's based on, okay, this riff before this riff before this riff, how many times do we repeat them? And everything sort of flows around that. And that's, that's fine. That's been working for extreme metal for 30 plus years. So we don't need to stop doing that. However, here, what you're going to see is that uh, the where where sort of drum rhythm variations would be used to recontextualize riffs and get more juice out of them. That doesn't really happen here. The drum performance on this record is really excellent, but it's also extremely static and mechanical, and that's completely deliberate. Um, so instead, what you'll hear is a, a reversed relationship where you'll have this continuous, like unerring flow of mechanical blast beats with riffs swapping in and out around them. It's very rare that you hear a riff repeated a bunch of times with varying drum beats under it, unless you have a deliberately droning part like at the end of uh, Shava Lingham. Um, so let's listen to this track where I think if you listen closely, you'll hear a lot of really subtle kind of dynamic push-pull in the way these riffs flow into each other. And I'm guessing this is a record really designed around a guitarist and a drummer setting things out part by part. This, mm -hmm, this mm -hmm. is not constructed around guitar in the way that most extreme metal is. So I, I think you can hear 
like on this segment in particular, uh, it's become so traditional for extreme metal bands to explore the space of a riff by, by varying, uh, varying drum beats underneath. Obviously it's a classic technique, but here it feels like the riffs and the drum beats are a lot more purpose built for each other, especially in some of those longer kind of elaborate sequences. Like I think it's the second riff, which is sort of, um, a 10-4 configuration. You've got like two 4-4 bars and then a cut time bar to kind of wrap it up as a coda. Um, <laughs> you will hear uh, little inflections in the riff, even if it's a, uh, a supposedly looping melodic segment. Okay, there will be a little bit of trill to match up with sort of a broken blast beat in, in one repetition of this melodic sequence. So these riffs are actually a lot longer than they appear, but they're based off of etern like internal call and response variations between the drummer and the guitarist, which makes it super distinct. Um, these do not flow like regular songs. Uh, they feel very arbitrary at first until you sort of get into the internal logic of it, and then it's clear. There's no other way for them to go. One thing I like here is uh, that there is not the convention that you need to stop playing blast beats. <laughs> right? Yeah, no, like, there's no compunction. <laughs> I was thinking about that yesterday. It's like the, um, the, the you know, the fucking aversion to Norse core or whatever, right, that happened made meant like constant stream of blast beats was stigmatized. And certainly there's war metal that embraces that, but in... It's unusual to get music that is highly varied in terms of riff, you know, tons of different uh, riffs or phrases and uh, kind of ambitious and uh, arty. It's, it's unusual to hear just constant stream of blast beats in that, right? Um, and there's this kind of dumb stigma that attached to it after the late nine, after, you know, 1349 or whatever. Um, but, you know, the point is, it wasn't constant blast beats that made Norsecore bad or get old really quick. It, it was bad riffs, um, like sort of phoned in uh, Walmart black, Walmart Norse and Swedish riffs. And it was like, maybe you could say, like triggered drums and like monotone drumming. Uh, this guy's always playing blast, but he's switching back and forth organic he's switching back he's he has there's several different kinds of blasts on this record maybe more than several uh and there's this constant alternation between 16th and 8th note blasting um it's never like hyper blast it's never super speedy because the whole point is demarking you know demarking time right clipping these different interacted with the riff at this point at this point at this point right it's always supposed to have this very deliberate pacing but there's a, a constant willingness to switch up types of blasts that occur it's a lot of um variation and like you were saying what they're doing with the guitar over uh you know continuous blasting creates variation yeah and, uh, and really this kicks back to when we were talking about the whole brutal death thing and its relation to that. Um, you listen to the drumming style here. It's like, obviously, this has to be cultivated in some part and technique from not just brutal death, but stuff like Last Days of Humanity. Uh, the idea mm -hmm. of these, like, paralyzingly long sort of hypnotic blast beat passages. Or you can even see how certain aspects of the riffing here reflect, like, the uh, Oscar Ortega sort of... Uh, 
microcellular riffing styles mm-hmm. we've seen on his projects. Um, this just appears to be a band that takes that takes the idea of extremity itself very seriously, and just for that, it's brilliant. One more thing I want to say. I know that was uh, our potential show stopping um, or segment stopping <laughs> outro line. Um, we, we usually throw a few of those out there and see which sticks. But um, something that might be a something that might be a little pedantic, but I think is uh, worth talking about, um, and uh, would be that something that might have confused our listeners there is that we were using form and content in opposite senses as we were reviewing this. So, mm-hmm. um, so you were using them in the sort of. Uh, in a way, I think both senses make sense, right? You were using the sort of colloquial sense where you're like, they're stripping away all the packaging, form as yes. packaging, and delivering the content. Yeah. That is, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're stripping away all the, the production frills and whatnot, uh, and they are giving you purely, um, you know, uh, purely just... Uh, brutal uh brutal intricate death metal riffing right mm-hmm. um and i was using it in the opposite sense to say they're really focusing on structure as opposed to like the you could think of like like when you're talking about the content in some way it's the form right mm-hmm. it's the uh it's the organization of these notes in time right it's that really sort of uh it's it's that's the thing that transfers whether we play it on kazoo or it'd be fucking hard on kazoo <laughs> right that's the thing that transfers whether we play it on acoustic guitar or piano or whatever right um and in some sense like the timber or timbre or whatever like the timbral qualities uh the uh sonic space in the production and all this other stuff is kind of the matter that's being given a certain form or the content that's being given a certain form. And in some bands, that sort of... Uh, you could say that in, like, doom, certain kinds of doom, that kind of stuff that might ordinarily be the content becomes mm-hmm. part of the organizing principle, right? Like, you know, you're really concerned with timbre because that determines when the note ends, right? <laughs> you know? Um, uh, but, but, like, so I think, like, uh, so I guess I was using it in the sort of like uh, technical aesthetic sense or whatever, right? But the point is for our listeners, we're talking about the same thing. It's that this band is distilling uh, distilling death metal down to its uh, foundational architecture.
All right, we are back from uh, probably one of the most dour and scowling records we've covered this year with uh, something completely different. Something that's uh, ready for your uh, your next uh, death metal barbecue get-together. Uh, this is the new Holocausto Cannibal with uh, Crueza Farina. Uh, this is out on Self Made God and a couple other labels, sort of a co-op release type thing. Um so Holocausto Cannibal is a band that I've really liked for a lot of years now. Uh, they are guys who, uh, it's a band from Portugal. They've been around for, I think, going around 25 years now. And uh, they're following in the footsteps of the whole sort of hemorrhage grind gore thing. Uh, there's, there's sort of a whole lineage of... Uh, sort of, for lack of a better term, Latin bands uh, doing a sort of gory death grind style that's sort of taken from uh, necroticism era carcass is going to be sort of the origin injected with a little bit of punk and hardcore in, in varying degrees uh, and it's remained kind of unchanged for a lot of years uh, ever since Hemorrhage put out their first record so many years ago uh, there's always been bands doing this style and Holocausto Cannibal is one of the best now uh, to to try to describe this is interesting because I think while this music has remained sort of unchanged for over 20 years now, the whole context around it is very different. Um, if you were listening to an album like this 15 years ago, uh, you probably wouldn't even necessarily, you wouldn't use terms like crusty to describe it. You wouldn't really associate it with punk much at all. But as the more extreme reaches of punk and metal have started to fuse more, and moreover, that the audiences have become more familiar with both sides of it. Now you'll see a lot of people calling this stuff like, you know, D-beat death grind, uh, mm. stuff like that, which uh, is one of the things that I kind of want to talk to you about, because I know you're unfamiliar with this band and not really familiar with this lineage of bands in general. Mm -hmm. uh, where do you place this kind of in the spectrum? Because we've covered some like very deep beat gore grind stuff early on in the show. Mm -hmm. We've been listening to more and more stuff that's refusing death and grind and crust and deep beat together. Yeah. Where does this fall in in the uh, in the political compass? <laughs> I guess. Yes. Yeah. Well, where would you say? Um I, I, I could throw that back to you as a series of questions, but what I'd say is this certainly has a number of D-beat sections in it. Those don't seem to be the center of gravity in the music. Um, yeah, that's fair. There is a real connect... Uh, they're not the center of gravity in the music. Um, I, you know, you've got a sample that highlights some of the better D-beat riff, and I'm, I'd like to hear that. Overall, though... I, you know, what I would say is I found the D-beat parts often fun because they're occurring in the context of, you know, a song starts off with D-beats after another one just ended on blasts or whatever, right? Mm -hmm. they, they're effective within the structure of the songs and more so with the album as a whole. You know, it's like, oh yeah, I like D-beats. Yes, it's the D-beat part. But they're not <laughs> like, they're not the core of the riffing or the center of the aggressive energy, which I think is reserved for the... Uh, blasting and uh super slowdown parts yeah um this is this is kind of an interesting take for holocausto cannibal this is their sixth full-length record i believe and the first 
one of all new material in about 10 years. Uh, they did a re-recording of their debut record, uh, I want to say like five years ago, but it's been pretty quiet apart from little EPs and splits here and there. Um, so one thing that you mentioned, the super slowdown parts, uh, the really intense sort of pit riff stuff that goes mm-hmm. on on this record is kind of new for the band. Um, mm. Maybe they're responding to uh, some of the more hardcore-influenced death metal that's coming out now, but it also feels like just kind of a logical extension of the stuff they were already doing, in a sense. Yeah, so, yeah, how would we position this? So, as far as the crust thing also, you could say, um, uh, I think this band does have a... Re- it's, it's more than just the fact they use D-beats. I think there's a significant connection to crust, but it's not... And it's in the D-beats, but it's also in something else that's a little less expected. Um, which I think I can point out in one of my samples. But th- there seems to be like some stench stuff going on here in kinds mm. of aspects of the at- more atmospheric stuff. Um, yeah, this is a this is a pretty dynamic record. Um, there's, a, there's a whole lot of different ingredients in the mixture. And mm-hmm. it seems to be an album built around sort of cycling through those ingredients emphasizing or de-emphasizing certain ones and that's the sort of uh, structural conceit for like how individual tracks are laid out let me get so one thing i want to say about like placing this in the gory death grind constellation is so we we have a few things like that pretty recently in terminus history how would you place this relative to say the um pharmacist we reviewed because that's also very carcass influence but that's like heartwork influence carcass Artwork uh, era carcass. Yeah, so well, pharmacist is kind of interesting because like the first pharmacist record is much closer to something like Symphonies of Sickness, and mm-hmm. then uh, the new one that we covered just the other day is much more in the kind of necroticism and heartwork vein, which which mm-hmm. I've noticed is kind of a thing with uh, deeply carcass inspired bands in general. They like to jump around the discography. Um, a lot of the time they end up sort of recreating the same progression that Carcass did originally. It's, it's very strange. Mm. Um, now, in comparison to uh, Pharmacist, one, this is more directly traditional in terms of this sort of, you know, micro style of... Uh, sure. You know, gory carcass-inspired death grind because after decades of iteration on the sound, it's come to... It's come to feature its own sort of musical conventions. Like, the D-beat thing was never big for Carcass originally. There was a little bit, um, but it was never, like, a focal point. There weren't established D-beat sections that would be dropped into songs in the way that you do with a sort of hemorrhage lineage of bands. Um, This would be closer, I would say, to something like um, Regurgitation from Sweden, who is another death grind band who has always kind of floated nebulously between death and gore grind and crust, emphasizing different aspects at different points in their discography. Regurgitation or regurgitate? Uh, regurgitate, my bad. Okay, word. Yeah, carnivorous um, erection, regurgitate, yeah. Right, all right. So um, another comparison would be the Lord Gore that we reviewed on the bonus episode the other week. Like that has a lot of, that has like this, that has clean production, a lot of D beats and is a death grind record. How would you compare that? Well, I I think that, I, I think that something fundamentally goes differently between those two records, which is interesting because like you suggested, they kind of have the same basic DNA at the heart. Right. 
Um, but where I think the center of gravity in Lord Gore is based around, uh, I, I think, a kind of confused idea of <laughs> a kind of confused idea of old school death metal, or and uh, yeah. you know these these little kind of concessions to the idea of autopsy, kind of doomy parts and stuff. Here, the mm-hmm. center of gravity is based in its own understanding of grind, and moreover, I think that Holocaust of Cannibal is interesting because. As the lines of the genres have all kind of blurred and been iterated on over the years, you get the sense that even with the cross parts and even with the DB parts, those are arrived at through listening to other metal bands doing them. For sure, for sure. Yeah, you don't, I, I you don't get the sense that these guys are listening to much crust punk like on their own. It's They're getting it filtered through a lot of metal bands that are also into that, I think. If there's any... Well, they're, they may... We'll get it to one on my sample, but I think if there's anything to suggest they do listen to Crust, it's not the DB parts. Oh, um, now I'm intrigued. Yeah, all right. So let's <laughs> right. go. Well, okay, so I'm going to do a, a sample. This is going to be like, uh, this is going to be two short tracks in a row. Uh, this is this is like a 19-track album, and it's mm-hmm. just over 30 minutes, so these are pretty brief songs. Um, so we're going to go from... Uh, let's see. So the first one is going to be Ansastres uh, Ritos Hypoxicos and to mm-hmm. Apresto Executorio. Um, and what I think is really cool here is that when you listen to a lot of this sort of like D-beat connected, gory, grindy stuff, a lot of the time the bands tend to hold back because they're they're pursuing groove. They're pursuing a, a certain kind of party atmosphere. Um, and the extremity tends to be sacrificed at least a little bit. Holocausto Cannibal isn't interested in that. The actual <laughs> gore grind aspects, you know, this sort of like ever present last days of humanity hovering in the background is definitely present on this record, which is one of the things that I think makes it a way better party record than any of the bands really searching for that style.
so you can you can imagine a version of this record where they they tone some of this stuff down you know they don't pitch shift the vocals they don't let gravity blasts happen and they're they're doing that in the pursuit of this being sort of metalhead good time music which I've never understood because I thought part of being into extreme L was, you know, liking really fast blast beats and like really disgusting. Let gravity blasts. blasts happen. Let exactly. gravity blasts happen. <laughs> exactly. They're here. They're fast. Get used to it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so it's like that's so cool. Is like you know after you get off the 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 kind of slowed down crush ending of the first track, you have that second and a half of breathing room and then this progressively escalating series of blast beats capping off in that just fucking ridiculously high speed gravity blast there um so and i really appreciate that about the record it's that the point of this music is to be very extreme and the fun that we find in it the sort of party mood that we get out of it should arise naturally from it being really extreme and you like cackling <laughs> at how fucking brutal it is. So. Yeah, this is big cackling jams for sure. Um, you know, <laughs> a part I really liked there that I cackled during, as you heard, was yeah. uh, um, uh, the breakdown pretty early in the sample. Where or you, did you just do the whole track there? Well, yeah, all the the two tracks. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Okay, so the breakdown that was probably in Ancestres Ritos Epoxicos or something. Um, yeah, well, yeah, who yeah. knows? Um, there's a, a slow part, and they do a quick pause, like it sounds like they're about to hit the blast beat again, and instead the vocalist just does a and <laughs> and they sort of um, instead they sort of convolute the rhythm and the breakdown, so it gets even more ignorant. Um, and that that's really cool. Yeah, there's a there's a lot of. Um you can really tell these are guys that have been playing together just for an absurdly long time. You get the sense that there's these like cackling musical in jokes with just some mm -hmm. of the, th this isn't a technical record, but there's parts of it that are like deceptively challenging, usually like very strange timing inflection, stuff like mm -hmm. that. The sort of subtle musicality you only get with guys, you know, really well. Hey, some of us find playing really fast inherently challenging. <laughs> I mean, I do too, but I have yeah. to pretend for the listeners that I know what I'm doing. Um, but yeah, no, that's I, I hear that for sure. I mean, that's something that's true about the Portuguese BM scene too, right? Is this sense of brotherhood that they've mm -hmm. those yeah. the guys in in the uh, the circle formerly known as the Black Circle, uh, right? Those guys all are bros who've played with each other for like decades. Um, and so it, uh, may, maybe it's a Portuguese kind of thing. Maybe they're just really good at that. It's just it's just all about the vibes, I guess. Can you stay true to the hometown boys? Um, <laughs> so uh, what have you got here? I, I'm interested because this is so outside of your conventional wheelhouse. What kind of things you wanted to emphasize with the samples? All right. So both my samples on this um, have kind of a similar structure, which is just a really fast part, really slow part. Um but the, the, the second one, this one is a more sort of complex version of that pattern. Um, and uh, it, the end of this one, after you, there's a couple variants of the slowdown here. Um, and the second variant starts getting into that potential actual crust influence.
lesser band would not have gone back to the Gravity Blast. <laughs> These guys refused to be that lesser band. Always yes. back to the Gravity. You yeah. see, that was because I actually, uh, you mentioned it earlier, but actually when I was listening to this album, I was thinking of the Lord Gore thing. And it's like, when do these um, sort of like spooky town slow riffs land and when don't they? You know, and I think mm-hmm. that it really just has to do with kind of like preparation. You know, it, it's not even really about the riff itself. It's just how you get there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's it's high. Yes, the riff itself is basically just like uh, cut and paste south of heaven type thing. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. But like, that's fine. Right. Uh, and it's um it's it's all about the way it's following on this really intense blast passage. I mean, a thing I think I'm realizing on this show is that when I was younger, I thought I didn't like gravity blasts, and now I'm realizing I like gravity blasts. Yeah, it's just a blast beat, but you do even faster. What's not to like? Yeah, yeah. Um, but <laughs> but I told my priest, and he says I'm going to hell. So um, <laughs> it's uh, um, so. Uh, he, he said I was. He, he took away my punk card. Um, <laughs> but the uh, but the gra- so the gravity blasts are cool. But um, in that deceleration to the uh, to to this kind of spooky part. Um, those are the parts that make me think there might be some actual crust influence here. Um, it, it's not that one individual passage, which if you isolate it, could just be slow slayer. Mm-hmm. But, like, especially the... I'm not going to sample it because it's the intro and it doesn't have blast beats, but I really like the intro, which is Psychotico Interludio. Um, and that has these just kind of slow-building... Um, gloomy minor chords that then starts to get some like uh more textured droning uh guitar stuff coming in over it right mm-hmm. uh and that is a lot like a stench part it's it's almost like if you just decided to do the kind of thing that like deviated instinct did but do it in a very modern way it would sound kind of like that mm-hmm. where it sounds kind of like the stenchy aspects of sepultura um uh, it's it's very uh, there are parts on this that have kind of a little bit more of a majestic minor key to you know evil and or majestic sounding minor key tonality they're very slow and uh, kind of chuggy or crushing and those parts I like a lot I kind of wish there were more of them and they they have kind of a what if we modernize stenchcore vibe to it. Yeah, and I think in a lot of ways that might just be... Oh, go ahead. Oh, and by modernized, I don't mean like... I mean, they're actually... they're. Well, Stench is a pretty narrow thing. There are some great bands doing original takes on that style right now, especially Fodum, but like, uh, it's more that like... By modernized, I mean you deliver similar ideas, but with like beefy kind of, uh, you know, digital digital product, super heavy digital production. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think that what might be happening is that maybe these guys access these sort of like crust roots of Carcass better mm-hmm. than a lot mm-hmm. of people do because because you got to remember it's like the, the the kids in Carcass were basically like peace punks who also mm-hmm. happen to mm-hmm. like death metal. Um, so moments like those slowdowns were present in early Carcass, but I think Holocausto Cannibal understands their role and understands their purpose a little bit better rather than just kind of mindlessly replicating it because it's what carcass did you know uh, uh, I, that that would make sense yeah 
Yeah. So speaking of the uh, the sort of punk aspects, I think that after a couple years of doing this show, I'm at the point where I think I know what makes a good D-beat riff. Because <laughs> you, you've talked about it. You've... You, you, You've described it in the way someone describes a sunset. It's very hard to <laughs> break it down into a series of rules. But you've always emphasized um, weird little fluctuations in timing. You know, where you're putting in slides. L- little subtleties that kind of just whiz past you until you've listened to a ton of these riffs. Um, so I'm going to go to the song uh, Campas do Negro Bru. Uh Where there's a series of kind of D-beat riffs that I think will pass the test for you as the actual good ones. So, D-Beat Guy, are those the riffs you're looking for? Yes, those are those are great. I mean, it's not... I, I wouldn't... It's not like a top... It, it's not written to be a super unique D-Beat riff. It doesn't like... But, you know, it's not like top shelf. It's not like a band specializing in this sort of thing or like the occasional death metal band that just is uh, really good at writing them. Mm-hmm. But it's a uh, very... It's conspicuously better than most of the other DB parts on this record. Um, uh, there's something about... I think it's just they're playing it faster, not too fast. Uh, they're, they're not like... They still want it to have that groove, but a lot of the other ones have this kind of like... Uh, they use, Bands like this use DB riffs as mid-tempo riffs. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? I think I just figured that out. Uh, like, I, I, I get the distinction you're making, where the DB bands, those are the fast parts. Here, they're kind of like a, a groove thing for death metal bands, who are used ex- to just operating at a, a way higher top speed. Exactly. And you can play a groove... You, you can play a DB riff in this kind of shuffling, slow skank way and make it really heavy, evidence being coffins, mm-hmm. right? Um, or winter. But, like, that's its own kind of thing. Um, And so mostly what you have on here are 
most of the riffs I'd characterize here as kind of like on the Lord Gore, is sort of sounding like um, uh, uh, behind enemy lines or um, fucking uh, I was rotten or these kind of mm-hmm. like um, these kind of chunky uh, sl- r- slow by DB terms, kind of chunky uh, bluesy riffs. Mm, right mm-hmm. which are not um work fine in the songs but are not remarkable by David standards this they're pushing the tempo a little more um there's something about you can you can hear them articulating the ends of the chords really well mm-hmm. um like the the sort of the, the sort of more trilled part on the end of each chord uh and there's something about the timing in the way that they draw up you know the turnaround at the end mm-hmm. That goes up one chord more than it has to, um, or even two chords more than it has to. Uh, goes up one, and it, the way they're sort of like uh, syncopating that um, is very heavy. So I think it's a well-written D-beat riff. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, that one really caught my ear. And of course, you know, just the giant pit riff at the end is pitch perfect. It's probably oh, one of the best on the dude. record. Dude, I loved that. Yeah. It's, um, <laughs> I love they just count it off for way longer than you think they should count it off and then play it for way longer than you expect them to play it. <laughs> it's, 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 uh, you know, the other thing about the DB thing is, um, uh, or there's a, a classic, um, a thing about the Japanese, I don't know them well, but a guy who's writing I used to read talked about this, uh, that the Japanese band Gauze, always the, the sort of noise core DB band, always said that they played fast by playing slow. Mm. Um, and so, like, DB riffs can often be lower tempo than you expect them to be, but they feel fast because of the syncopations and the way that the, uh, the way the chords throw into one another. Yeah, that sort of whiplash effect. Yeah. That's a fast, you know, by DB terms, that's not even a particularly fast DB riff. Mm-hmm. Um, but it feels very fast, and that's important. There's a real sort of forward forward momentum and shape to it. And also just, you know, high levels of dissonance, which is also uh, pretty essential. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, so let's, yeah, if, if you're good with that one, let's go into Kerulo dos Finados. Um... This is the same general plan as Suprema Dominancia, right? Go really fast, then go slow. But uh, there's they have a good way of taking these templates and filling them in with meaningfully different... Uh, here I'm using the word content in a slightly different way, but, you know, filling them with meaningfully different content, right? You have the grid, the outline of the song, and then the particular riffs coming in are different. Uh, and you get a really brutal contrast here.
Dude, we were just saying during that during that breakdown. This this sounds Mexican. It's it's like there it's a Portuguese man, but it has huge cholo energy to it. Dude, yes, that that's totally in the school of like LA LA cholo doom death stuff, doom death beat down, right? Like mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like Zibalba crew type groove or whatever, or or like Ruin. I assume Ruin are Mexican. Um, well, I, but, I just uh, love, I love how I love how these guys just continuously make the decision of when we find the best riff in the song, we just keep playing it. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, so that one is awesome. But then the other thing I want to talk about real quick is the wind up. Um, so, uh, you know that. Right, it's just the like, um, it. You know, there they're doing a bluesy thing in a really cool way. They're just going from like the whole step under the root to the root, mm-hmm. uh, and it's um. That is that's the kind of riff you can only write in a grind band. In the notes you mentioned, um, internal rot, right, mm-hmm. as having a similar kind of subtlety. Yeah, and I think that's true. I think internal rot is way more radical. I think in a lot of ways, and because they're working further away from traditional riff forms, I think they write more distinctive riffs. Mm-hmm. But this band here, this band is doing that specific kind of you could call it like noise riffing or whatever, right? Where it's uh, it's kind of just hyper compressed nonsense stuff, and then they break it up with the DB part, which is you know purely for pacing but is a very fast db part and then they just do it again that is uh i really like hearing grind bands grinding why have many note when few note do trick Begin with breaking news at 11. A six-year-old is dead after someone shot into a Pomona home. Police suspect this possibly a drive-by shooting. This man and woman shot to death. Known by a lot of people here in this neighborhood. Parkway is going on. And then we see now. We see the cops going after them. Often they went back to the street. And then they just over here gunshots. We weren't sure if it were like real gunshots when we came out. And we smelled the gunshots. They were real gunshots. Uh, from what I heard is uh, a cop got shot, got shot. Typical day in Pomona, Pomona.
always been very ingrained. Yeah. And, you know, you have the Crips, you have the Bloods, but everyone can pretty much agree that the Mexicans run LA. Is that, is that a fair assessment? I'm definitely, uh, I'll say you're in Southern California. California.